everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of November 18th, 2021. I'm Charles Hain, filmmaker and writer. I am here with George Edelman, editor-in-chief of No Film School. Hello. And Todd Blankenship, cinematographer extraordinaire. Hmm. And this week, we have two tech news stories. But first, we're going to be talking about the return of MoviePass. Dun, dun, dun. Then, in tech news, we've got a double header this week. The first news, Sony has launched Venice 2, which I have some, like, very, I'm excited about. And then we've also got the double rainbow from Quasar Science that I want to talk about. Because, holy cow, I actually got to play with it. And it's ridiculous. All that this week on the No Film School podcast. First story this week MoviePass co founder Stacy Spikes is buying all of the brand and assets for MoviePass out of bankruptcy from the Southern District of New York Bankruptcy Court and has teamed up with some partners hedge funds in order to do it. I don't think the founder of MoviePass has the money involved, but so the estimated value was between one and 10 million. The minimum bid to get it out of bankruptcy was 250,000. And Spikes has said, my bid was less than 250,000. <laughs> um, so MoviePass might not be a incredibly valuable asset at the point, but the question now becomes is, will it be again? So there's a whole website, IWantMoviePass.com, where you can sign up to notify when they're launching again. If you don't remember MoviePass, MoviePass was a system that was a startup where you could get, like, you could pay $30 a month to see unlimited movies in the theater. And it worked at any theater because you got, like, a a credit card that could be used at any movie theater. And then, like, they would pay for all the movie tickets that you bought. And the idea behind the company, I mean, first off, I I don't think they anticipated how many people would be like, holy shit, I'm going to see a movie every day. So I think that there was some like not unanticipated user behavior, but also the idea was that they would get all this analytics data on movie nerds that they would be able to sell that data, you know, because like Facebook doesn't charge you anything for Facebook, but they sell all your data. And that is why Mark Zuckerberg owns, you know, the future. MoviePass had the hope of being the same thing. I don't know how much like as a movie fan who before I had a kid would see two or three movies a week in the theater and can't wait to go back there when my daughter's in college, like, is data about me that valuable? I, I certainly don't know that it's valuable enough that they can make up the difference between $30 a month and how many movie tickets I would have used. The other thing that's fun about MoviePass is there was a whole data dump of all the, like, internal emails. And I actually don't know if these included Mr. Spikes, but, you know, all of these co-founders being like, oh, Like, that person's using the tickets too much, so turn up how much difficulty they're having resetting their password to log back in to keep doing it. Like, anytime you've ever had a bad customer service experience, you always wonder, like, is this deliberate on the part of the company? And the MoviePass emails very much indicated, like, yes, this is a decision we're making because this customer is costing us too much money, so we're going to, like, offer them worse customer service, stop responding to their emails, stop helping them fix their password to deliberately slow them down. So it's like a really fascinating thing to see if MoviePass could come back. I wonder if part of the business plan depends upon the pandemic. Like, I know even avid movie fans are probably not going to be going as often as they would have before. So I wonder if that's part of the perk. Yeah, this ongoing thing with MoviePass, it's sort of been an interesting thing to watch 
for movie fans and movie watchers. You know, it happened before the pandemic. The pandemic obviously had a huge impact on the movie-going experience. Now we've had a weekend or two where box office numbers, at least domestic, are starting to come back to bigger numbers or levels that previously, you know, not pre-pandemic, but better than during the pandemic. And it's sort of weird timing to me because it seems like, oh, okay, we're going to, this model is is slowly crawling out of the grave. It really felt like people were throwing dirt on the theatrical business model before the pandemic. The movie past debacle felt like part of that to me, like that miscalculation. And then as the pandemic went on, it was like, man, what's even going to be left, right? Like, is this like, and here we are, you know, something of it is thriving again. And it looks like there's going to be a new version of MoviePass, perhaps. And I think that this is all sort of to say that pendulum swings, you know, <laughs> like it just seems like there's a way that this business model will kind of find a new existence. There's enough people motivated to do it. You know, everything is subscription model based these days. So it, it kind of only makes sense. I'm curious, did either of you guys use it in the first version? No, uh, I can't. I'm not, <laughs> no, I speak for both of us. No, I didn't because, well, I'll go first, Charles, but I didn't. Although I know Jason Hellerman, with one of our writers at No Film School, like he's written about this a lot. He's going to write about this new development for us too, but he used it like crazy and was surprised. And I know so many people who used it like crazy were shocked that it existed, like it was some kind of cheat code. And for me, I, I, I like going to the movies a lot, but I don't like feeling like I have to because there's so many movies, personal preference, that I just don't want to see. And I don't want to feel like, oh, I have to go. Like going to a movie is something that I, how do I put this? I'm proportionately unhappy with a bad movie theatrical experience as I am with a really good one. So for like every inch that I loved seeing Dune, and if you listen to this podcast, you know I liked it a lot is like an inch. I hate seeing something that's just not good in my mind. It's torture to me. <laughs> so so I don't, for me personally, I'm like not a, like I'm just happy to be in the theater seeing something kind of person. So, but wait, I'm, I'm confused. So you're, are you, are you saying that when you have a movie pass subscription, you feel forced to go see bad movies? I would feel like I wasn't taking advantage. It's kind of like the if gotcha. if I had like you feel guilty. Well, it's just like so what's you, the I'm supposed to do this to see movies. And in my life it would be hard cuz I'd be like I should really like I should be getting my my value here. I think the people who get the max value are the people who will go every weekend and see a bunch of stuff. And that's where it turned into a cheat code. Yeah, like the the people who are watching uh who watched Red Notice this weekend on Netflix. <laughs> or, well, the people who would be like, Red Notice is in theaters. I'm not knocking Red Notice. I didn't see it. I don't know anything about it, really. It's more, <laughs> if Red Notice is, <laughs> is bad, it's more like people saying, yeah, oh, what's coming out this weekend? Okay, that, I'm there. Clifford the Big Red Dog too. I'm there. Now, again, I didn't see Clifford the Big Red Dog, but there's people who just go to everything every weekend. That's what they do. That's who breaks movie pass. You know, every model is like that, right? Like gym memberships make their money off the people who sign up with a New Year's resolution but never go because the person who goes to the gym every day is actually like taking advantage of the deal because the equipment, the facilities, like just like everything take, yeah. being worn down and needing to be cleaned and maintained. Like those people are a drain 
It's the people who don't go and don't use it. So like, I'm not like some... So I, I always divide the world into two categories. And it's like one category of the world is the gym and vegetables, which is like stuff that you know you should do and you'll feel better if you do, but you have to will yourself to do. And then the other category of the world is like donuts and movies, which is like <laughs> left to your own devices, you will just keep doing. And there's no reason to like, you know, when I was a weed smoking 20 year old, I was that guy who was like, what's in the theater? Like, I'll see a movie two or three nights a week. Like I was too. I, oh, I yes. mean, I knew the other regulars at the New Beverly because yes. we were all there at least twice a week. Well, that's so, okay. That's different. If there was a movie pass for the New Beverly, I would want to feel guilty for missing because I would be like, man, I'm not going to go over to the new, drive over to the New Beverly to see. Well, right now it's so much Tarantino stuff, it's less appealing to me. But if it, not that I dislike him, but just that it's, you know, it's all, it's so much his stuff. But if it was any other revival house, like you're saying, Charles, I'm just, I'm just wedging this point in there is that like if it was all a certain caliber of movie that felt like, you know, if Criterion Collection was on rotation in the theater, I would buy the pass to force myself to feel obligated to go rather than to be like, oh, I don't feel like it. But yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, would also just buy the pass out of like emotional support. Like I live in New York City and if there was a, like Tarantino, I know you're a listener. I know you pour over every suggestion we make. You really <laughs> need to make a new Beverly pass that I could buy just to feel some connection to Los Angeles and feel like I'm still supporting it. And then I use it every other year when I'm back in LA. Oh um, yeah. You know, you like know, I'm the, a Criterion Channel online subscriber, but totally. I have a two-year-old. Yes. So how often do I actually take the time to like get around to it. It should be a tax write-off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, for, for us, it, you know, it's, it's business. Seeing True. Business, I mean. Interesting. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When I was in high school, I worked at an AMC for a number of years. Worst job I ever had by a mile. And the only thing that I loved about that job was you could go see movies for free. So I would like, I remember I would just for like a Saturday, I would literally just walk from theater to theater, watch a movie, walk into the next day. Like I watched like freaking Chicken Little, <laughs> the the classic Zach Braff animation film. Nice. <laughs> like I just remember I, I, I watched it all. My low, uh, my, my thing, I realized I had a problem when, <laughs> when I went to see bringing down the house with Steve Martin and Queen Latifah in the theater because there was nothing else in the theater that night that I could see. And so I sat in the theater and I was like, this is getting weird. Like, why am I doing this? Like, this is awful. Even the people in it aren't happy. And that Chicken was sort Little of like- made $314 million. It did? Oh, that, Chicken Little. Yeah, not- I was yeah. Like, Bringing down the house made $314 million. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, there's an age well, no, it, But then when you get- Anyway- those versions of us, which exist out there, there's plenty of them. They will break movie pass. <laughs> That's yeah, who I, breaks well, I mean, it. I, I mean, bringing down the house made 164 million dollars on a 33 million dollar budget, so it was a certifiable hit. I'm shocked yeah. we don't have a sequel. I mean, that's the thing. It's like it's the same reason there's not donut pass 
or like <laughs> Weed Pass. Well, like I mean, anything else? Well, there, <laughs> movie Pass is the Olive Garden endless breadsticks of, for movie watchers. <laughs> oh man, yes, it's a it's a strange business model. No, you know what? Even better than those examples would be like Well Vodka Pass because anything that that gets this crazy markup or Pizza Pass, like like the movie business. The, the ticket, the theatrical experience is built around this crazy markup. Like the profit margin is huge when you buy that popcorn. I mean, maybe they were thinking the concessions would be... Can I, can I just point out something and we should move on from the subject now? There's nothing that signals that you have had some point drunk too much than knowing the word well. Because I also <laughs> ordered well vodka when I went to bars. And like, you know, when I mentioned that drink to people who don't drink too much, they're like, what's well vodka? Is that a brand? So That's only the, people oh, who drink too much at one point or another in their lives know what well is. That's that's um, code for I went for the cheapest, quickest, most plentifully available. <laughs> it's, you know, so all of the nice stuff is on a shelf. The nicest stuff is on the top shelf. And then the well is that area down below the bar where stuff is unlabeled <laughs> jugs. And you say, and if you order a mixed drink, they usually pull from the well. Um, yeah. But if you order just a straight well vodka, <laughs> they they know something about you. They have learned something about you in that moment. That vodka comes in a plastic bottle because they know you're a danger to hold on to it. Yes. <laughs> so we should move it now that we're <laughs> moving on. Through. Movie Movie Pass really is the well vodka of industries. <laughs> I think is a really great. Um, I'll take a well movie, please. I will take whatever movie you have. We should get wellmovie.com because it oh, literally would... is the pass of like, what movie do you got? I'll take it. It's kind Does of it a come fun in a plastic idea. tub. You make them cheap. They're that's what an exploitation I, movie I was. I would actually I would love to do like we don't have to do it right now, but I would love to like talk about what our favorite well movies are. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, well, I mean for me, hands down, Shanghai Nights. That movie rules. Oh, cla- yeah, that's a great phenomenal. Choice. Quentin Tarantino yeah. is listening, of course, and he is the Mr. Well movie. Like that's his thing. Like he he's yeah. all about like I can make you a really interesting cocktail out of the well movie. There you go, yeah. And he okay. is a person who clearly is just like, well movie, please. Yeah, he's got like, a problem. <laughs> yeah. I'll have one I'll have one well movie, please. I was shocked when I moved to LA at how often you see him at screenings. <laughs> I mean, I think he has kids now or he's gonna have kids soon, so maybe it's not the case, but like, you know, we were all in film school and like in the first couple of weeks we'd be like, Oh my god, we were out in Pasadena and we were seeing this like old 50s movie and Tarantino was there and then a couple weeks later I was like oh I was seeing Kiss Me Kate in 3D at the Egyptian and Tarantino was there and then eventually you just stopped saying it because he was like always there like (laughs) he was like the only full grown adult that was seeing movies as much as all of us 20 something film school stoners were makes me kind of love him yeah (laughs) love you actually because I know you're listening makes me kind of love you QT for listening All right, moving on to the tech news first story this week Sony has released Venice 2. So if you don't remember Venice, Sony Venice came out in 2017, which feels like two seconds ago, and is Sony's like high-end digital flagship digital cinema camera. It was like the second big full-frame sensor camera to come out after the Red Monstro. So like really innovative in the full-frame big sensor competition before pretty much everybody else got into it. Now there's a lot of competition in that space. You know, the Alexa LF is very popular, but like when Venice first rolled out, like it was big news. Sony's also really famous for like a whole lot of great infrastructure, a whole lot of great post tools, a whole lot of great, like red is cool. I like red. I've shot a lot of red. 
feature I directed was shot on Red. But like, they don't always have the full ecosystem ready when they launch a product. Sony, when a product is launched, the accessories are there, the workflow is there, like they're a big company and they roll it out like a big company does. I like Red's approach too. I think it's really like they've driven a lot of innovation. We've gotten full-frame sensors and even 4K earlier because Red exists. But, you know, Sony lands a bunch of big shows like The Crown. If you liked The Crown, the first three seasons were Alexa. And then because they wanted to go full-frame, they went to Venice for season four because the Alexa LF wasn't common enough for season four. And you can actually see the difference. Even my wife was like, this is different. What changed? And I looked it up and they had moved Venice. And I was like, oh, yeah, because the thing with Sony is you can always see in the way the highlights roll off. That's like the thing. I've never loved Sony's color science, but oh my God, Venice was the first one where I was like, oh, you guys are getting there. Like, yeah, like absolutely. You, you're really on your way. And Venice 2, which just dropped, specifically mentions rolling <laughs> highlight roll off in the headline of their press release. So they know they're aware that highlight roll off was one of the weird things about Venice. And look, it's not that big a deal in most shots. If your shot doesn't have highlight roll off, then you don't notice. But like in the crown season four, Prince Charles takes Diane on a date to a theater show in like episode three or four. And, you know, the actors on stage have these bright theater lights and like the way the highlight roll off looked, I was like, yep, Alexa would not look like that. That is Sony. And Isn't I, that so cool? Like, I, I love that you, you, you were watching the show and your wife was like, what's different? Like, I, I'm kind of obsessed with that concept because good camera looks like good camera, right? But then there's like, just like, that color science thing where it's just a little different and it's, it's noticeable, you know? Like, and it's and noticeable I, I to non-nerds. Like my wife is yeah. not a movie nerd. I mean, she's a movie nerd that she likes watching movies and we like watching shows together, but she's not like, you know, she doesn't know my long history of annoyance at Sony's color science, but she sees right. it. You know what I love about that too is that even somebody who doesn't recognize what it is or articulate that it's different sees it too. That's yeah. something we don't talk about enough is that it doesn't have to be like a blind taste test where you can sip both and say, oh, that was on the Sony, that was on the red, and that's 35. <laughs> like most people can't do that. Like even the educated person can't always get yeah. it right. It's more about there's a subconscious experience. Sometimes you can identify that it looked or felt a little different. And sometimes someone will say, hey, you know why? Because they did this thing or it's on this thing. Or this thing has changed. And then people say like, oh, like, and it, and it's almost like there's a culture around the industry uh, of looking down your nose a little bit at somebody who can't target it or label it specifically. Be like, can't even tell that it's 35 millimeter. But like, that's ridiculous. Like, there's all kinds of, that's the whole thing is the art of fooling people and tricking the eye. And I think that there's something really cool about being willing to say, yeah, there's something different there. What was it? And then actually doing the investigation because that's what makes you better decision maker as a filmmaker is knowing that the things work on some level that not everybody can articulate. Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest things to happen in my career is when IMDb put that little technical specs button yeah. where I could click and see what stuff was shot on because I, I do it literally every movie I watch. I'm like, what was that? That's weird. I don't know. I'm I'm very obsessed with the idea of color science because I also have been long sort of frustrated with Sony's and because I I really I've always kind of loved everything that they do from a form factor, camera, like all the non-color science stuff. I feel like they've always kind of pushed things forward but also kind of kept it grounded a little bit like 
the first camera I ever dropped a big chunk of change on was a Sony EX1 back in the day. It was the first camera that could do 60p in full HD. I mean, it's weird because like, I completely agree. When I, when, even with the first Venice, I was like, oh, I think they're kind of, they're on the right track now. And it's because I've never been a big fan of Canon's color science. I know I'm pretty alone in that. But I, they've kind of taken what I liked about the few things that I liked about Sony's color science and have kind of started bringing a bit of that that Canon that nice Canon roll off in there, and it's like just feels kind of milky and smooth on the on the Venice. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm stoked that they're kind of honing in on it, and hopefully, as you know, more Alpha cameras come out, more A7, whatever we're at now, hopefully they start kind of rolling that through that stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, I think we're starting to see a lot more, you know, the Cineon group is sort of a separate group within Sony that focuses on the high-end cinema stuff. And we're starting to see more of their fingerprints, like their fingerprints are really behind the look on Venice and FX9 and FX6 and FX3. And I think we're going to start seeing more of like that Cineon footprint in more places. Just while you shout out the tech specs on IMDb, which obviously every movie I ever watch, I check out. Good reminder of, if you don't know the website, shot on what? Shot on what is like taking that a little bit further. They don't have everything, but what's nice about it is shot on what, like you can select Sony Venice and it'll show you a list of all the things shot on Sony Venice. And it's like, you know, they also have like lenses so you can see all the things that were shot with a specific lens set up or whatever. So like shot on what's super fun. It should be on your radar. Some of the other things that Sony improved with Venice 2. So it's an 8.6K sensor. Its resolution is... 8640 by 5760, 16 stops of latitude. And then, you know, they kept a bunch of the original stuff. What's interesting is it's a swappable sensor, which means you can shoot 8.6K with on this, or you can take it out and you can put in your original Venice sensor and shoot higher frame rate 6K because the original sensor you could get higher frame rates out of than you can out of this 8.6K. But why you would want to do that is the other thing they focused on is a smaller body. So while the original Venice was like a more traditional cinema size, this really seems to be trying to compete with the really popular Alexa Mini and the Mini LF because those cameras are just like roaring hits because they're small and you can put them on steady really easily or gimbal or you can fly them. And like, I think Venice 2 is as much about increased resolution. It's also about Sony really acknowledging like, oh, smaller camera bodies are a big deal. And the original Venice was big. And then the last bit of crazy news and we've got to talk about it because I think it's fun, is you can do internal RAW to their XOCN format. And that means that Red is getting paid. If you buy one of these, Red gets a check, I think. Because Red has the patent on internal RAW. And Blackmagic gets around it with Blackmagic RAW with like this weird thing they do where it's not full RAW and yada, yada, yada. But everybody else, if you're doing internal RAW, every camera you sell, I think Red gets a license fee. And Sony fought this really hard, and Apple has also fought it really hard, and both of them lost in court. And so I think this is Sony just saying, like, okay, we need to do internal RAW. Because original Venice, if you wanted to do it RAW, you had to put on this external recorder to do their XOCN, their optical camera negative, original camera negative format, X original camera negative. You had to put on this external recorder, which is how you get around having to pay the license fee. And I think they finally gave up and were like, okay, you're getting a license fee. Dude, are you? I had no idea. That's blowing my mind. Yeah. So <laughs> I had no idea that was a thing. So Red has like a patent on internal RAW where 
Is that is that what you're saying? So basically, based on their original 2006 NAB presentation, I've heard where they this show- story before. I yeah. like it. It's a good one. Uh, it's a good Charles so story. <laughs> in their in their original NAB presentation, they showed a working prototype that did internal motion picture raw recording, and they got a patent on it for internal compressed motion picture raw. And the compressed is the key part of the patent. So if you want to do uncompressed raw, which nobody does because the files are way too screaming massive, you can do uncompressed raw, which is why a lot of cameras will do cinema DNG, but like nobody actually ever shoots it because the files are just so insanely big that there is no workflow where it makes any sense. Oh, man. Yeah. So for a long time, this is why if you shot Alexa and you wanted Alexa Airy Raw, you had to get a codex recorder that was an external box you rented separately. This is why Venice, it was an external box. This is why Atomos is the driver of ProRes yeah, Raw. Yeah, ProRes Raw, yeah. Because what? Atomos is an external box. DJI does ProRes Raw on their Inspire 2 drone because the camera is separate, hangs below the drone, so they can argue that that's external recording. Well, and and with the Ronin 4D, the camera's on you know on that weird gimbal thing, and it's detachable or whatever. But if you look at the specs for the new Mavic 3, you can finally shoot ProRes, but you can't shoot ProRes RAW. And that is because the camera is built into the body on the Mavic 3, and what? so you can't do RAW recording the way you can with the 4D. So Apple, Sony was the first people to try and fight this. And then Apple also tried to fight it. Both of them lost. Sony and Apple are very big companies and they took it to patent court and both of them were not able to pull it off. And then Ginny Tech went after them. God bless Ginny Tech. If you don't know Ginny Tech, you know, if you want to buy a red mag for like a DCM2 body, because the DCM3 bodies, they're just using CF Express cards because why wouldn't they? You had to buy these special cards called red mags and they were like $1,500 for a 500 gig card. And Ginny Mag was like, hey guys, there's only $100 worth of parts in this $1,500 card. We're going to sell them for $200. And they got in a huge fight with Red about it. <laughs> Ginny Mag did. And so Ginny Tech made all of these videos, like these like full-on conspiracy type, like slow push-ins and red circles on still photos from NAB 2006 to be like, the prototype Red showed in 2006 wasn't real. There was a computer underneath the table making it happen. and it was all a lie. Red doesn't deserve their patent. Dun, dun, dun. And like, I kind of love Ginny Tech for going for it like that. <laughs> like it was a swing. They were like, you're going to come for our ability to make Ginny mags. We're going to come after your patents. Like, you know, lols. Wow. And as far as I can tell, unless, I, you know, I don't have an inside word at, at Sony, you know, Blackmagic, they were able to get around it because Blackmagic Raw is, is compressed. But it's weirdly it's like partially debayered in camera, exactly. but then the rest is done on the software side. Yeah. Yep. So that's how they're. And that's Dude. arguably why it is partially debayered in camera is to avoid <laughs> the patent license. Because Dude, someone needs to make like a documentary series about this for like the 20 of us out there that would be very. <laughs> I was going to say, who would watch it? Like, how <laughs> people I would, would watch, watch it on this it. podcast. <laughs> But it is fascinating. It's especially fascinating. You know, I mean, for some reason, the internet hates on red, and I don't know why, because like, yes, they do some weird stuff. And yes, that phone thing was stupid. But like, guys, they're legitimately out there, like pushing envelopes super far, like them dropping the red one in 2006 got everybody else to speed up their timelines towards digital cinema. And like, fine, so the color science isn't airy color science. I've We've all seen beautiful movies shot on red. Like, I don't understand the hate. But like, Tons of respect for like fighting the patent battle against Apple. 
than winning. Yeah. So for sure. My theory is is that Venice and because you can do internal with Alexa LF, you can do internal red raw. Now the the file's really big, but I still think it's compressed. So I think if you get an Alexa LF or a Venice 2, I think you're paying I think red gets a check. I don't know how big their license fee is, but I think I believe that there's a license agreement there. But Blackmagic sells so much more volume. And that's why I think they went for a not having the license to red, because they sell so many cameras and a license fee would kill them. Well, and they're like one of the only, I mean, they, they kind of do everything that way. Like, I mean, they're, they're sent, they're the only ones making their own sensors now and yeah, all of that. Yeah. So I'm excited about Venice two being in a smaller body. Venice two is also a weird one. I remember I was moderating a panel at NAB a couple of years ago and I was like, so what is like the thing? What's like the hot thing of this year? And everyone on the panel was like, everyone I know is shooting Venice. I, I just bought one. And I was like, I know, I, I still know no one shooting Venice. I still I haven't, haven't shot. I haven't shot any. I haven't either, yeah. Outside of tests. Like, I've had my hands on it, but like, I haven't done a job on Venice. And I know no one who has done a job on Venice, even my friends on big shows. But everyone on the panel, it was so weird. Everyone on the panel was like, Venice is owning everything. And I was like, this is a weird panel. So Venice 2 is the first big tech news this week. I mean, I'm hoping that the level of nerdery I bought to Venice 2, you're about to bring to Quasar Science's new tube lights. <laughs> Because I don't know the LED drama. But the other big tech news this week I wanted to talk about is the new tube lights that I'm obsessed with from Quasar, the double rainbow. They also came out with a rainbow two, which is the revision of the original rainbow. So, you know, there's a few big names in tube lights. There's Quasar Science, there's Astera. Those are the big, huge names. But, you know, a lot of people also now make tube lights, but those are sort of... Nanlite, I see those around a lot. Nanlites are super slick. Godox has some things. Like, there's some... But, like, Quasar and Astera are really, you know, not that everything goes back to car analogies, but they're like the Lexus and BMW, or no, let's say Cadillac and BMW, because Quasar is in LA, and <laughs> Astera's are, I think they're Austrian, not German, but we'll say BMW regardless. You know, they're the high end that you see on the biggest shoots the most. And I got a chance to play with the Rainbow 2 and the Double Rainbow. The Double Rainbow is a tube light, but it's twice as wide so that they can fit more LEDs in it, so it can kick out a lot of brightness. And the twice Rainbow as, Two, you, you mean like twice as like thick, but not long wise, is what you're saying? Well, it's available in two foot or four foot, but it's like okay, physically okay. wider. So it's like instead of Got being one point five inches wide, it's three point seven inches wide. So it's like it's still a tube looking thing, but it's like a wider tube. And the Rainbow Two is the original one point seven five inch width, but it's now available in an eight foot length, which is ridiculous. But the crazy thing about it. Initially, I, I didn't use Quasars a lot because they don't take internal batteries. So they're, they don't have internal batteries. You always have to externally battery power. I've gotten over that. I now actually, like, you know, I've got a set of Nanlites. I really like them. But, like, charging internal batteries is always, like, a big to-do. Like, I have to pull them all out. And I have to put them out. And I have to, like, plug them in. And it takes up a lot of space. And Quasar's solution has always been we have, they have a really smart battery mounting solution, the Osseum system where you can just like mount V-mount or gold mount batteries to it. And it actually kind of works out a little slicker because then I'm like, oh, I can just charge all my V-mount batteries in a way that doesn't take over my entire living room and show up on set and just plug them in. And then when it's dead, I don't need to swap the whole light out. I just swap my V-mount out. And it keeps weight down by not having an internal battery. I used to be like, ah, Quasar, when are you going to give me an internal battery? And they have a couple internal battery Q-Lion units. But for the most part, I like have really come around and think that they're right to be like, nope, internal batteries don't make sense. They're extra weight. 
And also, your battery is going to get old and crappy far before the light does, right? Like two or three years into ownership, your battery is going to be shot, but your light is going to have another five years of use in it. And like, who opens up their tube lights to replace their batteries? So I've come around on it. The mounting system is really slick and well integrated and super fast. But the key with these, I mean, it has all the classic Quasar stuff. You can control it with everything. DMX integration, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, all of the tools, all of the color. You know, the CRI is 97. All of the color is great. It's all of the things. But the real thing is they're just stupid bright. Like, I don't think of a two-foot tube light as being good fill against a sunlit window. But like, I just shot this little doc interview where like we had these giant sunlit windows and it was noon and all this light was pouring in. And I was like, let's see if the let's see if the double rainbow two foot does it. And we turned it on and at full brightness, it was too bright. And we turned it down to like 60%. And I was like, two foot tube light. Here we go. And like, literally, I didn't have to set a stand. I just put it on the coffee table in front of the interviewer. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like a really bright tube light is actually super cool. Are they RGBWW? They are RGBWW. That's the other thing I should have said about Quasar. So Quasar's whole thing is they're not just RGB. They're RGBWW, which means they have a daylight balanced and a tungsten balanced set of LEDs in there. Because a lot of your RGB tube lights, they create white light by just turning all the RGB diodes all the way up to 100%. However... Which sucks, by the way. It does not look right. It is not great on skin tones. It is not great on... Like, it's not great for color well, it, cut, it, cuts your, it cuts your output down, you know, yeah. an insane amount, too. Whereas these are RGBWW. So they have RGB, red, green, and blue LEDs so that they can create, you know, the millions of crazy colors you see in tube lights. But then for this dock setting, you, you know, you work in a normal mode and daylight balance them. So it's just using these daylight balanced white LEDs, which give you a much better color reproduction and much better output. The smart thing that they do is it's RGBWW, but the white LEDs come on in RGB mode if you turn saturation down. So if I'm in RGB mode and I make like this crazy purple light and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, I've got to shoot it with white really fast and I don't switch it over to color temperature mode. I leave it in RGB and I just turn saturation down it automatically brings in the right white LEDs to make the white light better, even in RGB mode, which I thought was nice. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like RGBWW is kind of now the standard. Like, everything is kind of going that way, which is really good, because I've always, I've always had a firm kind of line against, I don't ever buy a bicolor light ever. It's not, like, I just, to me, output is the king. Output is what you want. And and so I, I typically I only buy like if it's not an RGB light I only buy daylight balanced stuff because you know I very rarely need a super bright tungsten light I usually always need a super bright daylight light but I mean it seems like I think Ap- was Aperture the first to drop the RGBWW or was it it might have been Sky Panels I can't remember but I'm glad that that's now just becoming the norm because you know now you you're not making any sort of output bargains with with these lights anymore. That's, I mean, these look incredible. I, I was a big fan of the previous iteration of them. Like that was kind of always my go-to travel, I mean, part of my arsenal from for travel gigs. Like I would always just have whatever their old, I, I guess it was just the, the last rainbow. They, they, had, they had like a really nice four light kit um, that I would, you know, just set up like a big four bank Kino. And yeah, those, those suckers, even the last generation, those could go up against just about anything. You could almost put them up, uh, you know, outside and still get a nice little key light if you got it close enough. 
But yeah, these are these are these look sick. Yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at the article. The only exception I will make to bicolor, and it's an interesting one, is I'm doing a review right now, which will be up soon, and we'll probably do tech news next week. The new Aperture 600X, which is a 600, but it's X, so it does both daylight and tungsten. And I hadn't really thought about like because you're losing like a third of the stop out of the daylight, which is not that bad, but it's still a third of the stop, which you sometimes yeah. might need. But then for the main thing that I was going to end up using it for, like I happened to fall into a situation where I was using it for like a night exterior backlight. And it was like, oh, actually X here is kind of nice because sometimes if I'm matching sort of ground truth lighting in a scene and there's, I'm in a parking lot and like the light of the parking lot is a little warmer, it is actually nicer that I can just sort of dial that in. So I don't always have, and it was the first time where I was like, oh, bicolor, because I'm like you. Generally, if I'm getting lights, I avoid bicolor and I prefer RGBWW unless I know it's party party. Like if it's definitely right. like I've a lot, I've done a lot of shoots with full RGB lights because I'm like, oh, these are going to be purple and I need right. like four of them to do this purple background thing under a car or whatever. Um, yeah. Double rainbow, man. Like also I like the like, you know, sort of internet gag name. <laughs> yeah, that is. They know what they're cute. doing, but they're really the, the Osseum system for mounting is really slick. The battery power is really slick. They still don't have an app. And I got to say, I respect that they don't have a Quasar app because honestly, I feel like it's unfair that we expect every lighting company to have an app because you're hardware makers and this like pressure on everybody to like develop a software team and keep it updated for a variety of things. And they're like, we're going to make it the most flexible with all the other DMX apps and all the ways you can integrate with DMX. And, you know, it's got two Ethernet ports, even though it's a two foot tube light, you, you've got, you know, so you can put it in your DMX tree. It can be its own Ethernet node, the DMX tree. It's like, we're going to focus on that and and integrate with your workflow. And like, we're not going to have our own app. And I'm I'm fine with it. I think well, I think that's, it's like similar to their, they're not using internal batteries or whatever. I just think there's like a certain, Quasar knows who their user is. And I like for me, when I was saying before, you know, Quasars have always been part of my, my road gig loadout. I've kind of recently switched over to, you know, have I have like the the twelve the twelve kit of the Aperture MCs, and they have they have that app, and I'll be honest with you, like I very rarely even like use that. I just you know I, I just turn them on and get, kind of get whatever I'm going for with those. So yeah, I mean, I think I think I agree with you. To me, it's like I would rather I'd rather every other aspect be as solid as it is with Quasar, and and Quasar has always been just like a really neat company in my opinion. Like I just think they've they've kind of always given tools at reasonable prices and the the very first run of quasars like i'll never forget how it was like overnight every, every gig i was on had those all of a sudden and it was just like so cool to have access to the, to that and yeah i'll just always be, be a big quasar supporter just for that reason alone but yeah i mean they they've just always put out really quality stuff and i like that it's thicker i like that it's wider cuz that that gets you a little bit more a little bit more softness which yeah. is always good yeah totes alright guys that is the No Film School podcast for this week I'm Charles Hain you can always check me out on the interwebs at all of the Charles Hain H-A-I-N-E I'm Todd Blankenship cinematographer writer for No Film School you can find me on Instagram at filmmaker and YouTube same handle as well and I'm George Edelman editor-in-chief at No Film School thanks so much for listening please be sure to check out our website it's called nofilmschool.com like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at George Edelman. And be sure to listen to the other interviews on this podcast. We had the writers of Eternals on earlier this week. 
Those interviews tend to drop Monday or Tuesday, and these weekly episodes drop on Thursdays, sometimes Fridays. So be sure to check them out. And as promised, I am going to read a couple of five-star reviews that we got on the No Film School podcast. So bear with me here. The best. These guys are great. I learn so much with every episode. Good show. Now read. Congrats on a good show. Now you have to read that even though you've known Peter longer and talked to him more. You've always liked me more. I'll be listening. Perfect show for anyone in film and TV. Documentary filmmaker, editor of Mission Man Media, who also has some availability in the spring to edit your doc, would not be the filmmaker he is without the No Film School podcast and website. And speaking of websites, be sure to find Mission Man Media at a website near you. Seriously, the insight and experience and passion and desire to pass all that on to others makes this maybe the most important podcast for content creators out there. I never miss an episode. I did not, for the record, write that last one, nor did anybody working at No Film School. Some of the other ones, I think I know who wrote them. I appreciate everybody providing ratings for the podcast and letting us know what they think and sending us these comments. And I continue to welcome them and I'll continue to read them. Thank you all so much for listening.